0: Assalamu alaikum and you listen to the Muslim Centric Podcast with your host Amanda Rani. Today's podcast is a desert island gem I recorded with Habib Malik back in 2017. Habib is a well-known humanitarian who has been in the front line of humanitarian work for many years across the whole world. He talks to me a bit about charity work, also growing up in rural Pakistan and his luxury item is one that you would never guess and of took me aback as well so stay tuned until towards the end to hear about his luxury item Uh, habib's somebody who's very warm very friendly and always full of positive energy when you see him so i think you'll find it a definitely inspiring podcast and interview you can support the podcast by liking and sharing and spreading the word amongst your contacts and also on your podcast provider and please don't hesitate to get in touch with us You're listening to Desert Island Gems, an in-depth and intimate interview where we ask our guests to select meaningful gems that they would take to a desert island if they were cast away alone. We hope that the journey inspires you and helps you reflect. Our guest today is Habib Malik, a real pillar of Scotland. He can often be seen fundraising in his kilt and Glengarry hat, no matter where he is in the world. For many years, he worked as head of the Scotland branch of the charity Islamic Relief and was one of the close associates to the unique founder, Dr. Hani al-Banna. He has travelled to over 25 countries and helped to raise hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds across the world for those less fortunate. In 2010, he was presented the Robert Burns Humanitarian Award. However, his life began in more humble surroundings. Born in a small village in Pakistan, Habib came to the UK in 1980. Graduating from university with a degree in chemistry. Habib went on to work as a chemical engineer before he decided to become the manager of a motor workshop. So, Brother Habib, welcome. Thank
1: you very, very much. Assalamu alaikum to all the listeners of Radio Ramadan. Wa
0: salam. Thanks for joining us. And now, I guess your latest endeavor is called Magical Smiles, which aims to bring smiles to ill children by
1: providing gifts to them. How did you come to choose this as one of the projects to put your efforts into? rahim Magical Smiles is a, just a name change. The project itself is not new. Uh, the founder is uh, Sister Rifana Saleem. The project was called Colors of Islam. And uh, it is just a, another version of that or a just scaled up version because we have changed slightly its constitution. Um, and we have included orphans abroad in it as well. So Magical Smiles... Um, and distributes gifts to sick children in hospitals in, throughout Scotland and now what we have done is included uh, orphans abroad as well so we can distribute a uh, give Eid gifts and uh, uh, some financial support to orphans uh, and the needy, extremely poor children.
0: How did this journey of charity and humanitarian work first start?
1: Uh, SubhanAllah, we do I go back uh, quite It was in 2002 when I was approached by the head of Islamic Relief UK, uh, country director, Um, and I had no experience in the sector, but my main, I suppose, strength at the time was that was my extensive network throughout Glasgow, uh, I've always been a people person, and uh, through my motor trade, uh, Alhamdulillah, I knew all my, my community very well. And that's one of the key skills, strength you need in charity sector that you must uh, like people. You must network, talk to people and uh, socialize with them. And uh, uh, that was, that was I would say, was one of the key strengths. And uh, <clears throat> I was asked to do the job for two three months and find somebody or they said to me, <laughs> we will find somebody. I think they just tricked me. Um, I closed my business. And uh, within the uh, first two months, the country director of Islamic Leaf, he sent me to Sudan uh, with Dr. Hani al-Banna, the founder of Islamic Leaf. And I think he tricked it very well, you know, he planted, planted it well. Yeah. And we'll maybe hear about mm. that, but where was your life heading before you had this offer? Subhanallah, I left Glasgow in 2002 and ended, ended, uh, ended up in Aberdeen to explore and see the potential uh, back into my c- uh, chemical industry trade so I can join as a maybe a, an oil company as a, a chemical engineer. And so. so that was the reason I went to Aberdeen. Uh, while I was in search of jobs, this opportunity came and um, just through an accident, I suppose, I was in a function in a conference and I bumped into the country director of Islam Leaf, and he said, I knew him before from past as well every I think quite a lot of, you self know him as well yusim Yaqub oh yes of course one yeah. of our old uh, Islam, yes. young muslims in uh, islamic society of britain cuz i remember the first
0: time i met you probably don't remember this um, cuz i didn't know you at the time and i was with dr Zakaria abdul hadi subhanallah and he he's giving me a lift and he swung by your your workshop, Garage. and you know what these London you know, road. His driving was like, <laughs> and the state of his oh, car. Oh <laughs> yes, I remember that. So that's when he first Doctor met, Zendaya. and then he said, "That's Habib." He's you know, he's Zendaya, with yeah. old school, you know. Then that's when I then obviously through Islamic Relief and stuff. So tell yeah. us about that first
1: journey. You you went with Doctor Hani. This was yeah, just like a few months into the job. The, yeah, this was a few months of the job, and um, as I say, I I didn't know much about poverty or what uh, this charity business is all about and because we have never faced hunger and extreme poverty or even the areas of Pakistan where i come from the villages especially in Punjab maybe in south Punjab you you do come across 16 poverty, but not, not in the northern part so to me honestly i thought it's just a holiday i suppose well how bad is it going to be so but straight uh when we we took the, the flight from london with Dr. Hani al-Banna, I mean straight into the flight after about half an hour. Dr. Hani uh, went in his mode and he says, well, guys, what's happening? What's, what are we talking about? What's the discussion? What's the topic? What, why are we going to Sudan? And, you know, he just started questioning us. And uh, that got me going. It got me thinking that why am I going to Sudan? Why am I going to actually do this? And one thing Dr. Hani said, look, I mean, I said, look, I'm going to help people. And he looked at my face. He says, you sure? What do we have to offer them? And he said to me, you'll be surprised, Abi, you will receive more help from them. Maybe not in financial terms, but emotionally and mentally, and just the love and the spirit, your spirit will be lifted once you're with those poor people. And I still didn't understand he was, because I've never experienced that. And um, then I remember landing in Khartoum and straight uh, heading to south of Sudan, Area called um, Jubba uh, and that's when I said it was just a different world absolutely it's very difficult to describe because it was my first visit and to see human beings eating tree leaves and uh, children drinking water from puddles same place as animals and it was just just I was I was taken
0: back and said, what, "Was what was, there an, was there an instant where the penny dropped?" And you, penny,
1: thought, d- yeah, penny dropped. Uh, in, Do you remember in, that? Instance? Oh yes, it's, it's been it's been in a lot of newspapers and so on as well. It was um, in a building supposed to be a hospital, uh, no electricity, no water supply, nothing, and it was. I think it was in the in some maybe in the old days it was a children's hospital. Uh, we walked in. There was about six, seven beds. Uh, no doctors, no nurses, nothing. And I noticed there was a few kids with their mothers. And uh, one of the beds I approached, and it was an eight-year-old girl sitting there. Um, she didn't really have much, many, much clothes on. And I could I could see the bones on her body. I mean, she didn't have no meat, nothing. It was just skeleton. And I, I was quite sort of mentally disturbed to see that and first time I seen a severely malnourished uh, it was like a state like you know when you see famine the kids it was that state and I asked her mother through translator um, there's no doctor here there's nothing here there's no electricity Uh, why are you sitting here and her mother replied to me I'm waiting for her to die and then uh, because here at least we've got shelter And when she said that, I, when the translators, I physically broke down. I just was unconscious for a few minutes. What was it about that? that? I could see my own daughter in in, in that child's face, you know, and I just panicked. I just, uh, uh, and then they they took me outside and gave me some water just, just to sort of uh, gain my conscious again. And, and I started crying and uh, I was really, really, I couldn't sleep for three, four days. And then Doctor Honey explained to me. He says, you need you need to be strong? There's more. This is just the start. This is this is not UK. No, this is this is real world. And now you will see what, what reality is. And then as we travelled, um uh, we went to another camp. Um, and in this camp there was about twenty thousand people. And uh, when when I came out of the car with Doctor Honey, and we were walking towards the camp, and the smell was just unbearable as we approached towards children and towards the tents. And I noticed Dr. Honey, he was still smiling and, and children all were running up to him and he was holding onto their fingers and just sort of like chilling with them. And I, there's me, I, I had my hand on my nose because I couldn't breathe, it was absolutely stinking. And I, um, Dr. Honey looked at me and he said, what's wrong? I said, Dr. Honey, these are so smelly. I, ca- I can't bear the smell. And he laughed at me and he said, Uh, Habib who pays your wages and I said Islamic relief and he said he smiled and he said no 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 no. see these smelly children and these women and the widows out there they are your masters they are the boss they are the ones who pay your wages because of them this is why we Islamic relief exists and uh, they are the ones who you are raising money and you'll be raising money but don't forget it's because of these and I, I looked and I said Subhanallah he's absolutely right and then I removed my hand, and after that, I've never smelled Spine. no smell. And in tsunami, when I was in there in actually had dead bodies lying in front of me. I arrived after two weeks after, and to me, some smell is, 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 is irrelevant now. You know, I can handle it now.
0: And many people talk about Doctor Honey, yeah. um, and he, he's, he's a very unique individual. I mean, what what do you think is so special
1: about him? Uh, why, if I had to sum up his life, he's very very close to humanity emotionally intellectually spiritually and physically you see him with poor people all the time anyway so in in all components of a human person he is there and he is a very visionary uh, person as well uh, Allah has just blessed him I mean uh, I don't normally say that the leaders are born, but Iwalahe for him, I think he was—he's naturally born as a leader, and uh, it's his humbleness, his approach, his—he's just simple man. Uh, I mean, he—he he, he just gets on with everybody—Muslims, non-Muslims, atheists—even I remember in another country there were people—they were—they were—I don't know what they were worshiping. And there's Dr. Honey chilling with them and just relaxing. And, and he says, human, human beings, these are creation of Allah. Come embrace them. And then once I seen this man holding on to a tree, he was hugging a tree. And he was crying as well. And he was making, he said, Habib, you go and hug that tree. And I thought Dr. Honey was going mad. I said, Hug a tree he says listen go and feel the pain of this tree which is deprived of or which is struggling it was droughts it was in south in um, in uh, kenya and um, during droughts and famine and he said you have to feel the pain of even trees as well and then he went over to a camel who was dying i mean camels can last without water for three four weeks and this camel just couldn't it was to his last breaths. And there's Dr. Hani sat there and he was holding on to a Camel's leg and he was crying like a child, honestly. And he was saying, Allah, forgive me, forgive me. I can't do anything. I'm so helpless. I can't save this animal. This is this man, Dr. Hani. You know you what, don't see that in a human.
0: And what do you think keeps him going? Because he's been, it's not like he's yeah. done it for a few years. Yeah. He's done it for decades and yeah. he's
1: still going. And it's just, just, he's so clear from day one what his mission is. And he always said, look, you're not here to save humanity. You're not here to save. The ultimate mission is to seek the pleasure of Allah. It's, we, do, we do that through serving humanity. So that is the key. He's so clear on that. that he's always constantly talking to Allah. Uh, and this is, I mean, I sometimes talk fundraising or money, and he doesn't like that. He says, don't talk to me about money. Talk to me about human beings. How many lives you have saved. How many people have benefited? How many kids have been educated? I want to talk about human beings. I'm not interested in millions you guys raise on stage. And he just doesn't. And so many times I've asked him, please come onto the stage and can you say a few words, just which will help me to raise money? He said, he slapped me a few times. He says, I will not do that. I will go. He usually ask me what message you want me to go and give on the stage. And I will say to him, please tell them, give me this one. He said, rubbish, Habib. human beings. Tell me about humanity message, you know. And he's, he's, he's just a humble person, okay. and he's such a likable personality. So tell us
0: about your first yeah. item that you're going to take with you on the desert island.
1: Oh my! <laughs> I do uh, uh, keep a note of everything I do, uh, and I think without my notebook and pen, I would I would I wouldn't enjoy my uh, break on the desert island. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. And I notebook is very important and a wee pencil is very very important, then I I, I would I would remember some of the key um, uh, verses from the Quran which really really are very close to my heart. Individually I would um, uh, Surah Yasin because I think I've almost memorized it is very very close to me because you know when I left my school and I started university and uh, I used to go on a bus uh, from my home to it was, at the time it was Glasgow College of Technology Now it's called Caledonian And that half an hour journey I uh, had a small Quran And I used to read Surah Yaseen every single day And uh, mashallah I memorized it And it was just It was engraved my brain And that Surah is, is very very close to me And I, I still, alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah I still read a lot
2: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Yes, sir. And in the name of Jesus, I am the إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا فِي أَعْنَاقِهِمْ أَغْلَالًا فَهِيَ إِلَى الْأَذْقَانِ فَهُمْ مُقْمَحُونَ so it reminds you of your university absolutely
1: absolutely I mean every time I hear it or I read it myself I can just feel it. I can just imagine myself sitting on that bus and just heading to the university so you. Yeah. um you grew up college. in Pakistan, didn't you? Pakistan. I couldn't speak the language when I came here.
0: So tell us a bit about your early life. So Pakistan. grew up in Pakistan. Islamabad, what yeah. What was life like?
1: Well, in the village, think? my first school was in a village. Uh, uh, we didn't have a proper school building. It was just under trees. And uh, I still remember my first primary class under a tree. And I still, up till this age, are, when I every time I visit village, I, I go and sometimes sit under that tree and just remember the, those stones I used to sit on and I remember mother used to make a paratha you know and it wrapped up in this uh, cloth and uh, that was our lunch uh, and uh, and then we had uh, in English uh, what do you call it we call it takhti it was a it was a wooden plate uh, like a, a wee small uh, slate plate. and then we used to write on it and you, were, you would only write once a day because you had to go and wash it and then you had to dry, keep it dry, dry it
2: and, and, that's and you, we
0: uh, we Interested in studying and were you studying. in school at the time <laughs> as, as a young child or were you distracted? And were you?
1: After a few years, then I moved to Islamabad because in the village I learned uh, the wrong language. In the villages, you learn Swedish. <laughs> you know, a typical, typical Pendu boy, you know. So, uh, father was concerned I need to move him from a village life to urban. So, I moved to Islamabad and uh, for a year it was a big cultural shock then uh, I became a typical islamabad bad la- laddie um, I think music, I, I don't know why from that age, music was a problem for me and um, I, 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 I still up till last 10 years I used to play sitar uh, bad weakness I suppose And um, Did you get uh, to
0: bother with learning that and playing that did you get some sitar, resistance?
1: Sitar, uh, my family didn't approve it but uh, I don't know. I just like the sitar uh, instrument. I've not played for the last ten years, maybe fifteen years now. But uh, I used to play in castles and uh, non-Muslim concerts and events uh, here in Scotland. Yeah, um, but Islamabad. Um, so you, I think you, that's you, where I, I, I my my Urdu language, which is which is my second language. English is third, but in Urdu I'm very more comfortable in this, this language because it was my primary uh, education is in Urdu and uh, sort of a very sound uh, knowledge and uh, vocabulary in Urdu and And that was a big strength I
0: think and what age did you leave Pakistan? 14 because you were in Pakistan until the age of 14 14
1: and then I came straight to Glasgow
0: so how did that come about?
1: my parents, my my father was here Uh, he was a black hackney driver I believe he was the first Asian black hackney driver in Scotland Um, he was a bus driver before in Reading Then he moved here in 74, Um, then he had a a car repair garage, and um, we joined, me my So he
0: had come beforehand? That's right, yeah. And then my
1: mother and my brother and my sister we joined.
0: And so where were you in terms of the siblings, in terms of, are you the eldest? My sister
1: is older than me, then as my young brother. So were you the man of the house? That's it. And my young brother, you know him anyway, he's Dr. Rashid. He's um, in Aberdeen. Okay. He's in Qatar now, but he used to be in our And
0: so was, um, I mean, was there a sense of responsibility, I guess, being the man of the house back in Pakistan when you were young?
1: I think we've had it on the plate, honestly. We've been, Allah has blessed us with so much, and we really haven't seen the hardship while our parents and grandparents. My father still reminds me, alhamdulillah, financially we are very stable, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. My father still reminds me, you know, every time when I go onto stage or maybe I'm on a TV or maybe meet some prime ministers, he always reminds me, don't forget the day, we were very poor, this is my father's words, you we were very poor and he reminds me when he was seven, five, six, seven years of age, he reminds me that they used to live in one room, that's how poor my background is, my parent, grandparent. And the animals they had, the the buffalo was, buffalo was more important to them than uh, their own baby because buffalo used to be, was source of income. That was their livelihood. That used to be in the same room. And sometime during the night when the buffalo, uh, there were two reasons. One, in the winter, they used to get the heat, body heat, you know, and second, they just had no other place. And then you can see the waste of the buffalo. And it was all, it was smelly, you know, it, was, it wasn't very comfortable. But he says, never, ever forget your roots. And I always remember that, you know, and uh, Alhamdulillah, that uh, that's the the—the—the the, the journey we all began. And, and
0: what was it like then coming to Scotland, a Pakistani boy, yeah. you know, in your early teens, which is difficult enough? Was, yeah. it, diff- did you, was I, it challenging or how did you fit in?
1: I, I think I was quite fortunate because my father lived in the east end of Glasgow. Carmel, and hardly any Asian families there and the school I went to I was the only Asian in Bayliston. and I had no choice but to speak the language so it wasn't like here sholens you know and you can speak your apani language <laughs> so I had to and I think that's where I picked up the, the language quickly were you accepted and, oh they absolutely loved it absolutely loved it I never ever ever faced racism Never been called any names by or, or in my school. And I remember in the in those days, this is 82, 83, 84, every child wanted to play with me because I was the only Asian uh, pupil. In the, and uh, they knew I couldn't speak the language, so they made sure they guide me to another class. And they, it was just beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, Happy memories. Happy memories. Memories of the, yeah.
0: And did you um, show signs of, I guess, leadership at that stage,
1: uh, no, no, I was very shy and quiet. Uh, I think mainly because of my my language, I had language problem. But whereas in Pakistan, in Islamabad, oh yes, in my last three four years, I was always we used to call it monitor in the class. So I was like the the if the if the teacher left the class, I to manage. So and plus I used to sing as well in the class as well as I said that was
0: and when you arrived, did you miss Pakistan? Had you missed,
1: I you wanted
0: to go back or were you
1: happy? Uh, no, I would say for the first three, four years, I didn't really miss much when I was in school. I was quickly accepted here. And um, the thing which I did, kept going, was I kept reading Urdu. I still kept writing in Urdu and those days, my uncle, or my they, they couldn't write. They would say, can you write an Urdu letter? You know, we had those the good old days, you know, the post and, and I still kept writing and uh, I'm so glad that I, I did. I did do that. I didn't lose my my Urdu and uh, uh, writing and speaking skills and uh, but Alhamdulillah, I, I, I loved it. My school days, then uh, left school and I didn't have enough O grades. We had O grades in the old days. And I only had one, I passed only one with, and that was my art. (laughs) And then I have nothing, so I couldn't do anything. Then I went to Clydebank College to uh, uh, get some, gain some sort of O grades and hires, which Alhamdulillah managed. But interestingly, in my fifth year here in school, we used to have career officers. And they would interview and they say, what do you want to become? And I said, I want to become a, Chemist. Uh, I wanted to learn chemistry. And the guy looked at me and he says, chemistry? You, you don't have no... I don't think you'll even get a single O-grade and you need hires to do chemistry degree and I think you should become a joiner or a plumber or do one of these uh, courses. And I said, nah, nah, nah. And uh, then after, I said, you know what? I'm going to check this, take this up as a challenge and I'm going to get a degree in chemistry. And uh, so I did. Like
0: Why did you choose what was it about chemistry, chemistry that appealed to
1: you? Chemistry, um, you know, in, in I remember in fourth year, or fifth year, we had those t- you know those test tubes. We used to do some experiments, and I think I liked that. You mix two co- uh, uh, liquids together, and the colours change, and all. I don't know. I physics wasn't wasn't really exciting for me, or biology, but chemistry. I, I think I, I I just. And, and was there a sense it. at that time that you had to prove yourself? In that your, was
0: in your teens and yeah,
1: I had to prove to my school, to especially that person was always in my head, the career, why he thinks I can't do it, and uh, I, I would I would say I did struggle when I in my to I went to Clydebank College. One, it was very far from my home, and secondly, I had to work really really hard to get O grades and high hires in one year, and, uh, and then entry into college. And once I got into the college, it was it was hard as well, but so I kept I kept going, yeah.
0: Tell us about your next item.
1: Okay, next item, where am I? I, Oh, this is is the one I have spoken in mosques a lot. This is a a verse which uh, I talk a lot about. And it's linked to chemistry as well. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, Surah Saf, verse number four.
2: (laughs) Inna Allah
1: The translation is, verily Allah loves those who struggle in His path, in rows, as if they are solid structure. You know the solid structure word? And I said, I, because being a chemistry, I said solid structure. Why is Allah talked about? So he's given example as a solid structure. And I, I studied each atom and carbon, I noticed, is the hardest element. And carbon comes in two different shapes, graphite and diamond. And look, amazing how this one atom of carbon is teaching us how to develop a community, how you should be living in a community and you'll become like a diamond structure if you love each other equally. That's what in carbon, in a diamond structure, carbon is is equally bonded to each atom. yeah. Whereas the same carbon, if it goes into layers and groups, like in a graphite, which is so weak, it breaks, it's black, has no value. Then And you see, look at the community, we are divided into small groups, and the enemy just penetrates right through the middle. Whereas this is through one atom, allah is teaching us how you should be all living together as a solid structure like as a equally bonded equally equal relationship with each other and this is what companions had look how they loved each other and you could and that that's how they succeeded and when the enemy came they were they were just it was like you know a diamond look diamond everybody loves it Diamond it is the hardest element to melt. You need 4,000 degrees temperature to melt it, and diamond is very expensive. It's beautiful. Everybody loves it, and it's an insulator. You know what I mean? And if, I mean maybe I'm going too much chemistry here, but uh, this is what the communities should be. That if anybody external enemies come, they will, everybody will be standing together and defending the community. And you will shine in a, in a, in the world if you are together and learn from this one atom carbon, how we should be living together, how the community should be developed, and that's what Allah says here, that when you're together, and um, as if you're a, like a solid structure, you know, and there's a lot of hikmah in, in this uh, verse, and I've given a lot of khutbahs on this, on this verse as well, in and terms you, of community development.
0: And when you think about the Glasgow and mm. Scottish community,
1: mm. are you hopeful or do you despair in terms of where we're at? I, as I say, based on my thirty-six years in this, in this country, I think Scotland is probably one of the best countries to live. Not only for Asians, but for everyone. Um, in thirty-six years, maybe twice I've I've been called names, face racism, and that is that is a, a, amazing. In Um it's a, it's a. I've lived in Aberdeen. I've lived here, in Glasgow, Motherwell, so. Um, I think the ball is in our court. It depends how Asians, Muslims, how other minority, how they, uh, what attitude they have towards the host community. Uh, Because I think something we expect too much, I think, from the mainstream and... uh, Because
0: the the verse that you (laughs) quoted was obviously, talking about the community working together, individuals in the community working together um, for for a greater purpose, isn't it? do you see that happening over the years do you think as a community particular muslim community are we getting stronger or are we getting more fragmented do you think I,
1: I I think we are getting stronger more stronger especially the young I see when I see a lot of desire to learn about not only islam but also to integrate to mingle and to to as, uh, to uh, join up just recently I bumped into these young uh, uh, guys, and they are—they are, uh, they are mashallah, they were campaigning, com- campaigning on the streets, uh, because elections are coming round. And I know these two boys, and I said, "Wow!" <laughs> and these guys have got degrees in nothing to do with politics. It's amazing to see all that, you know. And uh, especially the some of the sisters, mashallah, very active as well. And uh, to me, future is bright. Uh, it's an exciting, it's exciting, exciting future, I think, for uh, in Scotland for all communities. I, I, mm-hmm. You do get pockets here and there who, uh, maybe sometimes media you see negative uh, sort of uh, highlight or criticizing uh, or blowing issues out of proportion. Are you generally uh, an optimist? Very, very much in so. life. Very much so, or oh, very much so. Allah has created this creation. It's amazing, people. Wallahi, and there are so many diamonds, so many jewels and diamonds in the not only in Muslim community, even non-Muslim community. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, especially because being a fundraiser generosity i see people are so there are so many people who are struggling financially but every time when you ask them they give i have never ever ever been refused money even recently a person and because i'm mentioning about money i'll tell you recently i was fundraising in pakistan and i was asking for money and this person After I finished, he called me off the stage and says, can I see you outside the venue? I said, this was in Muzaffarabad recently, just uh, on 28th of December. I went outside and he started crying. And I said, why are you crying? He says, you were asking for money. And he he put his hand in his pocket and he he says, I only have one rupee. I am a laborer here. You know, this marquee where you're sitting, Mm -hmm. I was part of setting up this, and I only have one rupee. And can I, would you accept this? I was too embarrassed and i hugged him wallahi i kissed his uh, forehead and i went i took him uh, near the stage and i went on the stage and i said look tonight i'll tell you the biggest donation i've received and the biggest donation i've received is one rupee and this wallahi is is this is this just shows you there's so many times these okay these uh i've got so many stories like these and then you said subhanallah look at wallah allah has you know every human being it is in their natural desire to give irrespective of religion it depends how we approach them
0: do you worry that this whole charity and humanitarian sector um, is becoming too commercialised over inflated sometimes because I guess there's more and more charities there's more and more uh, events happening Um, I mean somebody that's been there from very early on over the last few decades do you feel that things yeah, are losing, I, People are losing focus in charities, etc. Yeah,
1: I, I don't have an issue with um, charities opening up left, right, and centre. The, the, the point is, in fact, two days ago I was in a function and a couple of brothers came up and said, We want to set up a charity. I said, Okay, that's good news. I said, But why do you want to set up? And that, why they couldn't answer? Because they were just copying others, because others have done it, or we want to do it, because so and so family is doing it, so my family wants to do it. And I always say to people, why has to be greater than how how are you going to raise the money don't worry about how you're going to raise the money first be very clear in what is your mission why you want to do it is there a gap is are you focusing on a particular cause and that is where i think charities are struggling they are struggling to to uh, show the differentiation factor and people are seeing they are all the same whereas they are not But unfortunately, this is the sad situation in the NGO sector, especially in the Muslim sector, I would say. My own, because I'm I'm involved in him, where I think instead of mission-orientated, mission-focused, they're more money-focused or they're beginning to go around that route. And that's a disaster. Because when you chase money, Dr. Ani always says, if you chase money, money will run away from you. Chase the message, chase the people, chase the mission. Chase those poor people, they are the masters, keep them focused always in your mind and money will follow you.
0: Tell us about your next item. My next
1: item I think is is everybody knows this uh, surah is uh, uh, always remind my children and my friends look if you uh, want to, uh, if somebody asks you the summary of the Quran is uh, uh, surah Asr and it's such a three four simple sentences and it just summarizes the whole mission and uh, uh, in in a few verses uh, which I I personally read a lot in my prayers and so on the, the, this this verse I mean there's, there's so many scholars who speak a lot about this that if you want to understand the whole Quran the whole mission of your life is all here and summarize such a uh, simple words that uh, four basic commands there and follow them, and that's you. Simple religion, so simple.
2: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Rahmanir Rahim Walafu Insana Lafi khusr Illa Ladina Amanu Amin.
0: So Habib, obviously, faith is is a very significant part of your life in Islam. Has that been present from an early age?
1: Uh, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, my family, parents, grandparents, quite religious. Um, It's something I proudly, proudly say. Uh, my young brother, you know him, Dr. Rashid. He has never, ever, ever, ever missed a prayer. He cannot remember. He cannot remember missing a prayer. And he's never, ever, ever heard a purchased a music CD or you know something like that. I mean, I'm the opposite. I'm not saying I'm like him. But Alhamdulillah, uh, I think it's, he's always stayed with mother. Mother's been very religious, mashallah. Parents, grandparents, and you'll find uh, Alhamdulillah there. Alhamdulillah, has a strong uh, religious background. Um, which helped a lot.
0: You've spoken publicly before about mm-hmm. being adopted. Yes. Um, did you ever have difficulties coming to terms with this?
1: SubhanAllah. Uh, you know, something people say uh, to ask me for my parents, and I always say, look, I've got two mothers and two fathers, and they get confused. What do you mean two mothers and two fathers? And at the age of four, I was adopted in another family. Uh, my mother, my blood mother, was in village, my father was in UK, but I moved into Islamabad. My, we didn't have any relatives at the time in Islamabad, so my father fa- has uh, friend, his friend. Uh, I they adopted me and I lived with them for ten years, and uh, the love I both have passed away. May They both uh, the love I received from that family. They were poor, uh, but in terms of love, they were very rich. And even if you go in that area now, it's in G seven two in Islamabad, uh, in those trees. And if you mention my name, because they will refer to me as the son of my, uh, you know, Abdul Hamid, who was my father's friend, not my my own. And yeah. it's, it's some of my friends from Islamabad who I grew grew up. This this don't know this.
0: And did yeah. you know when you're growing up that? yes I so did, yeah did, yeah had that been
1: first year was difficult because i came from the village and i was but then alhamdulillah the love as i say i received from them and um, i've been very very fortunate because i've had two mothers and two fathers and half of my family here and, and the adopted family they they are in france so i've got family here as well and it just is really really do, do you think
0: maybe hmm. that your commitment to charity work might have stemmed from some of these early experiences about you know of being adopted and mm. some of the challenges that that raises
1: probably i think i think my grandfather alhamdulillah he used to do his bit in his, in the village as a, in terms of charity and my father alhamdulillah i remember from young age even when he was a taxi driver i remember he used to every single day he had this money box in the old days and he would take some out every I, mean, I watched all that and then i seen him using that money to set up school when i was young age and and i remember uh, uh, it was difficult in those days uh, but now uh, looking back i th- think part of that has played a big role um, in, in, in where i am right now and
0: do you think thinking about those days is that affected how you are as a father to your children?
1: Yeah Alhamdulillah, I mean I, I do encourage my children and remind them every time I'm abroad I come back and I, I, I show them the pictures and I sh- explain to them what, the situation and uh, uh, share some of the stories about other children their age uh, just to remind them, now, look how lucky you people are and look at the children abroad and I always say some of those children are. I have adopted them now, so I've got about 14 children right now. People ask me how many kids you got. I said 14, 14, and they get oh you. I said 14, and I don't see any difference with them. And I still go and see those children, and uh, even in the village, somewhere in Pakistan, and during the floods, I I adopted. And to me, they're just, I, I I don't see no no difference between them and my own children because uh, they were born while I was there, and uh, subhanAllah. is uh, yeah it's is. Uh, that's, that's life, that's my life, yeah.
0: Tell us about your next item.
1: My next item uh, oh, is a, it's a, it's a saying, um, act or you'll be acted upon. Um, I use that myself a lot in some of the training with volunteers or talking in public, that you, you have to be, you have to act, you have to be always in control uh, especially in terms of community or individually, that you, you're always moving. You have to be. This is what what Islam teaches us that you cannot be stationary. Either every day you are growing emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, or you're going back the way. Uh, there's no such a thing as status quo. Even in terms of business, if you're running business, each day either your business is losing or winning, you know, or, or making. And uh, uh, as a personal uh, in in your personal capacity, I always uh, remind myself and tell other people that every day you've got to improve, uh, and that improvement has to be through action, and, uh, uh, and in terms of community, make sure we we are an active community because if you are not, then you'll be acted upon, then we'll be complaining, then we will be mourning, and that that's uh, we do see that, don't we? That we are reactionary. Sometimes we don't do, we don't we are not proactive. And something happens in the media or wherever, and then we are out there with the placards and with the rallies and so on. That is That that upsets me. The, why do we have to wait that other people act on us and then we are reactionary and then we go into this reactionary mode? And that what this really is. That if you don't act, if you are not proactive, then you're, you're losing it, you know?
0: And having seen a lot of the difficulties around the world, and I guess even when you do some of these human- humanitarian work, you perhaps... Realise that there's some things you can change and some things you can't that are maybe at a higher level does that
1: frustrate and True. anger you? No, no I, I, I look back and say look, what can I do? My circle of influence is, is limited obviously I, I may have concern to save the whole humanity or save the world I can't but on the day of judgement I say and I see a lot on the stage Allah will not ask you how many orphans did you f- sponsor or how many water wells did you build or how many as long as you save one. And I always remind, it's a story I share a lot. It's, it's about this, this small bird, a Sparrow, who, it's just a story. I mean, and but there's a lot of wisdom in it that she sees a village on fire and then she, this bird is flying, the, the bird is, the Sparrow is flying to the nearest, there's a lake or a water stream and uh, the sparrow goes there and takes uh, a few drops into into her small beak or mouth, what you call it. And then she then flies over this village and then drops those few drops of water. And there were some people sitting on the outskirts of the village, and they say to the sparrow, oh, "You are so stupid! Look, look at the size of you. You are so tiny and small. And do you think you will be able to put the fire out?" And there's sparrow replies look i know i'm tiny and i know i will not be able to put the fire out and but on the day of judgment when allah will ask me what did you do at least i can say look i tried and that's why what i always say to people look just do your bit do your little bit and uh, it's all these little tiny best drops they 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 mean they mean a lot and they 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 have a lot of um, they add value and uh, if we all do every day just a little bit good it'll be amazing amazing world
0: and it's often been um, documented that charity workers maybe journalists maybe Mm. doctors that go out in the field particularly in war zones etc find it really difficult to adjust when they return because of the luxury because they've been perhaps living on adrenaline um, and normal life can become seem so detached and mundane people are arguing over petty things Um, how do you you cope when you used to return back from these field trips
1: Yeah, I mean uh, again those field trips I use it for my personal sort of training and I remind my family and other friends as well that look this world is a small world, very fragile world and I do see everyday people are arguing or fighting or or cheating on each other you know for petty things and I said subhanallah because when I went to Indonesia after tsunami 2004 December, 26th of December 2004 I uh, I was in Bandiachi after about two weeks and I came across millionaires who lost everything and they were queuing up waiting for a, f- a handover or somebody will give them a food package or uh, a bottle of clean water and those scenes I- I've never ever forgotten they are stuck in my memory and, and they-, they motivate me and they keep me sort of remind me and I-, I use them in my in my fundraising as well that that is the reality of the world so your life could change any time any time you could lose whatever you have so um,
0: when you've been on some of these you know, trips I mean what's mm-hmm. the first 24 to 40 hours like when you land back I mean is it back do you in do find it diff- yeah. really difficult to oh, adjust oh yes
1: oh yes I, I took um, BBC Scotland TV crew to Niger or some people call it Niger in 2006 we had um, an emergency there and in Niger we we, we we witnessed uh, again in this village where people collected water uh, and animals and human beings were all drinking from the same place. And then you see uh, ladies uh, dying because of hunger or father has died because of hunger and a child is holding, showing you a plate of dry grass that this is what we eat. All those scenes on a daily basis we witnessed. And then next time you take a flight, you take your flight and you end up landing in Paris. Charles call and you and me and I remember the journalist with me for for at least two three hours our flight was delayed to Glasgow we we didn't even speak to we were just shocked that look within eight nine hours look the scenes have changed and here everybody's it's just it was just shocking to see the the two extremes within nine ten hours and then uh, but then it does for two three days I remember my first trip. And Somalia, oh yes. I remember in 2011 as well, when I went to Somalia during famine. When I came back, I could not sleep for a week because I, as soon as I, I was closing my eyes, I could seize those skeleton bodies and, and just dead people. Um, and the, the memories of those ladies who were telling me stories, you know, how they have lost their children on a journey from their village to Magadishu and... Uh, to this capital of Somalia, and um, they were the heartbreaking scenes. I think some of the heartbreaking scenes I've seen were in Somalia in 2011, in famine, um, Niger, Sudan, and Afghanistan, and obviously um, in Syria.
0: And these sleepless nights and nightmares, did did you ever think, I can't do this, or I need to...
1: no, some, I, I do something else. I, they give me energy, you know. In UK, when I'm fundraising, sometimes I get very tired, and I, I drain myself. But in the field, field you can work 24 hours. You don't get hungry. You're so you're you're you're, you're you want to save. You see everything in front of you. Is you the must- emotional
0: impact not such sign- so, so, so significant? And you put your head down on the pillow at night, and it's just you and your thoughts, and you. To process everything that you've seen, or have you got a different way of dealing with it? Yeah. Do, you, do you not think about Just move on to the next thing because you, you, see,
1: you see, you see, you again, you see, Allah is testing us. I mean, I say, I, I am here in this situation with these people. Allah has brought me here, Allah has chosen me, so I have to do my bit. Why, why me, you know? So, I, I see as a test for me those people there. Um, who are in front of me whether they're hungry and so on i see as a test on them as well see how they respond to the situation and i find in natural disasters like tsunami and floods and earthquakes and so on people are very patient and they have a lot of sabr whereas in the war zones whether it was afghanistan where i went to lebanon i went to syria i went to it is the opposite. People are very hostile, angry at you. And that's where you you you, you feel angry yourself as well. Have you,
0: have you ever felt your life's been in danger while you've been on?
1: In Afghanistan, in Kandahar once, uh, I did in Lebanon, 2000, July 2006, during uh, Lebanon and Israel Christ, that They were the only two situations. Syria, I did go inside, but I, I was there in 20, 2013, in Adlib. Situation still was bad. We could still, uh, we didn't hear any uh, sort of gun fighting because it was far away, but still traveling from a village to village. Uh, you could see even kids carrying guns and uh, I visited a few hospitals where people are injured. But live ammunition and fighting and, and right in the heart where I've been is in Afghanistan and in uh, Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon, I was one kilometer away from uh, one of the, me and Dr. Honey from a bomb. Uh, it was scary did you think it was you were noisy die? um uh, I suppose at the time uh, you know when we entered Lebanon dr honey told the driver to stop the car we were entering from Syria to Lebanon and he said to us come out with the car we came out and he said look whoever wants to go back can go back from here I'm going in if you just want to come in it's up to you islamically is not pushing you to go in and I said no dr honey we are going in we are coming with you and you uh, that one moment when the bomb landed not far from where we were and you can see it was it was horrible you know the, the, these jet fighters who, who come uh, to bomb the noise and it's very scary because the whole building shakes and uh, then you just read Kalim you know, <laughs> Allah knows if, if this is the destiny then that's it
0: tell us about your next item
1: my next item uh, uh, oh yes um, it's it's, it's something I think a lot of us suffer from uh, constantly worrying about what has happened in the past and uh, we have regrets and uh, we look back and we say wish I had done that, wish that had happened and I do something as well but then I sort of train myself look it's past you know it's not going to change and the amazing is that Allah is so amazing, Allah is merciful and he is, he'll bless you you know if you've lost something he'll give you more. And if you have lost maybe uh, your child, maybe your father and move on. you have to. We have to move on and we have to look at Allah. There's always a blessing in disguise. I mean, uh, we lose. I remember I was really, really down when we lost Imran Khan. Now, not many people know that. I wasn't here, I was in Pakistan. Brother Imran and me, we sp- spent so much time together, so much time together in the 80s, six to about 94, five years. People in Glasgow used thought we were blood brothers related day and night we spent together and i was in pakistan when he, and for 5 6 days I, I just couldn't believe that i've lost a very dear brother and uh, then uh, subhanallah allah gives you that strength and especially uh, i say to people and we have to be present focused and, and 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 think of the future and it's an opportunity every day every breath is an opportunity that allah has given us the the biggest blessing we have right now is that we are alive, and that, yes. that's something we should remember. Instead of looking back and keep constantly looking at the failures, and yes, well, we should have to learn from our past mistakes, but we have to move on with time.
0: Another close friend that you've lost is uh, Junaid Jamshed. Oh, you knew him personally through, you know, the immense amount of charity work that he did, and you know, I think how his life turned mm-hmm. from one way direction to another. Do you remember when you first found out that he had passed? I was in Pakistan.
1: I was there uh, in Islamabad. Um, No, I was in my village, and my cousin ran over to me and he said, "Look, we heard there's a flight just crashed, and um, Junaid Jamshed was in it, and uh, just just body. I just felt I I was numb, you know. Just I couldn't see anything, or I said." I know, uh, just all the memories started coming. I mean, how how well did you know him? Well, I've been I've done oh. a lot of tours with him and fundraised in England and also in Glasgow and uh, Junaid Bhai. And he was a very, he used to say, my dear, that was his, no, no, you'll say my dear, you know, my dear Habib, my dear, he, he just, he was an amazing person. Just a beautiful, beautiful personality. And uh, constantly just his link to Allah and reminding us, look, less focused on our mission, and um, uh, Subhanallah, he, he again like Dr. Ani, he, he wouldn't talk about money. He would talk about the mission. And Mashallah, is is um, his? He, you look at his history. You know, look how, how what he was and how Allah changed and put him on a, a beautiful track. And he's inspired so many, so many, uh, and. We witnessed his janazah and millions of people attended you know and they still remember him even two days ago I was in a fundraising event and one of the uh, speaker he was speaking about Junaid Jamshid as he's alive he's you know that was his emotions his feelings towards Junaid Jamshid that I I just cannot accept he's gone you know because uh, subhanallah his message is still there and they were singing the nasheeds which he's famous uh, for and uh, but amazing personality, Subhanallah. there's so many other people as well. But Junaid Bhai was, uh, was special.
0: Tell us about your next item.
1: Yes, uh, uh, uh Everybody wants to be happy. And uh, it's, it's a quote I think I read, um, I think it's Rumi's quote. Rumi Happiness is not an accident, nor is it something you wish for. Happiness is something you design. And uh, I again here instead of complaining and being this feeling as a victim of situations and so on, I, I say Allah has given you control. Allah has given you authority. Allah has given you the the, the ability and uh, create your life and be happy and don't look at people who are ahead of you or who, in financial terms, you know, look at the ones who are behind. Subhanallah. You know, I was just just where I, before I come into the studio, I was barber shop and subhanallah there's a brother who I've known him for a long time but I haven't seen him for, for last 7-8 years and there he's coming uh, use, walking with uh, walking sticks and so on you know he's my age and I was saying subhanallah this brother used to be well, we used to play badminton together and he said and he said look I've got arthritis and I've got other problems and and uh, but he says alhamdulillah I'm still happy Allah and I said subhanallah and I complain you know sometimes I'm tired because I've done a 3-400 mile journey and uh it's just happiness is something we have to make the best way of the situation and always uh, see as a blessing, even if it's difficult times and whatever. Allah is all. There's always a wisdom behind. which sometimes we don't understand and hikmah and Allah. Sometimes we don't understand. We don't see it. Something we want to. Ha- we want something to happen and it's not happening and we get frustrated. why is this happening? And I say Allah, there's definitely a reason. And uh, what is happening is the best for me that's what Allah has chosen for me and I, 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 I share that with other brothers and sisters as well this is the best day. you have to look at the situation and say trust Allah and what is happening to you is is because Allah that's the best for you that's what Allah has and Habib you, you
0: seem like somebody who's a doer who's a problem solver um, not to take you know challenges in life lying down
1: I mean, what, where do you get all this energy from? Uh, I, think, I think the work I... I've been involved with and I'm, I've been very fortunate spending a lot of time with Dr. Honey. Um, I see him. Uh, even when you go on Facebook, you see what he's doing. He's, his health is not great. And um, he's the, the time I've spent with this man, is incredible. The wisdom and the, the knowledge he has and those short, simple sentences. Um, they are they are a great great uh, uh, wisdom and, and and lessons for myself uh like i mentioned earlier on holding a tree and asking you know the, the, you don't find that um and um just just i think I've, I've seen a lot of disasters i've seen a lot of humanity in pain i've seen a lot of hunger um and then that gives you energy because you we are not facing that okay we may go into the field for a week or two weeks And then we come back to our old world, and you look around. I say to people in hospitals here, uh, uh, look how fortunate we are with the NHS and the the services, the public services we we use here every day. There are people, um, in my look, majority of people who are from Pakistan who listen to a lot of our radio station. In in south of Pakistan, in Sindh area, there are families there are still in this twenty first century, they have never seen a fruit a fruit, you know, a banana or an orange or an apple, never in their life. Now, and look at us. Look what we have. Um, I remember in, in Darfur, in Darfur, in Sudan, West Sudan, um, we took out a, a, a note, a local currency. It was about five pounds or something equal. And this old man, 80 year old man, he, he put it, he, he had it and he, he says, can I touch it and we give to him. And that was first time his entire, life, he touched a note a money currency I mean and uh, so the all those incidents and 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 moments that's what gives you energy gives you a lot of energy and they're heavy boosts. and then the sentences from dr honey they are like a heavy toes as well and subhanallah and um, I think you learn from each other you observe and it's just how you see things you know it it all depends on how, how you view things and how you assess the situations and just try to be positive you know and Allah, Allah is amazing everybody's got to go everybody's going to leave the world so just do your little bit just do your and don't don't uh, try to do everything in one go or you think you'll save the world or you'll change the whole situation overnight it doesn't as long as people you leave a legacy that's Dr. Honey says love live and just leave, leave a legacy behind so people remember you for good things instead of saying thank God he or she's gone you know
0: and I guess, you know, working in mm. any of this sort of community work or global work, you have to make sacrifices. Yeah. I mean, what do you think have been the biggest sacrifices
1: you've had to make? Family life. Family yeah. life's been tough. Um, any aid worker, any charity worker out there, even the work you guys do, social work. I mean, when you're in Ramadan you are here 20, you know what I mean? In every year, this was 18th year now, Radio Ramadan, 18th, 19th or 20th? Over 20, 20 years. Well, you ask every person who's been involved, those 29, 30 days, you're you you here. And I've seen myself, you, so many, uh, every Ramadan people here and uh, they are, Mashallah, you'll see it today, you'll see it every day that they, and this is on a smaller scale in a, your local community, but still your family suffers. Uh, but on a next scale i suppose nationally or internationally if you're working abroad then um uh, that that's the price you pay that you have to because i think as a muslim uh, any aid worker you you speak to them they see as a mission it's not a job so even in the field you don't switch off after 5 pm or 6 pm you just carry on um i have seen uh, my other colleagues my own colleagues um, working midnight bitter cold and, and after Kashmir earthquake and snow and oh it's is this, and that, that that's how you just got to do it and their family suffering earthquake. I remember after earthquake so many colleagues I know who lost their own families. They heard they have lost their mother or father. They couldn't leave the job site. They said look I've lost my father but I've look at the people I've lost in front of me. I can't just turn around and go and bury my father or bury that, that is hard that is hard and I've seen that people doing that.
0: So who is it that helps the helpers?
1: SubhanAllah help the helpers Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala you know without Allah's support and His uh, He gives you that strength uh, He is He is the the ultimate sort of source and, and uh, we have to turn to and um, that is where the 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 real uh, connection we need to establish and uh, revive our connection because that's where really it happens we we have never ever had this attitude i am going to this country to help other people what we got to offer you know in fact they help us I remember in coming back from Sudan my first visit and the last few hours before we were leaving we were saying goodbye to extremely poor people in, in in Darfur, 45, 50 degrees temperature, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And I asked a group of people, I am going back to UK, a very rich country, beautiful community. What do you want me to say to them? Give me a message, which I take back. And subhanAllah, uh, maybe 85, 87 year old man stood up and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said son when you go back now when he said when you go back immediately I said oh my god he's going to give me a big long list send this for us send that and he said when you go back just tell our brothers and sisters to remember us in their prayers in their du'as and then and I thought he was going to see more and then I I thought well anything else that's it he didn't say anything else I said subhanallah look at the sabr Allah has given these people they are dying themselves they have no water nothing they haven't washed for two or three weeks and their children are standing on this uh, burning sand. you know it was f- I took my shoes off I wanted to feel the heat on this uh, on the on the ground the sand and Wallahi within 10 seconds I had to put my socks back on and my shoes I couldn't bear and there is in front of me the children and the men and ladies barefoot and uh, sabar, I would say I've learned from these poor people. Love, I've learned from the poor people. Genuine love, genuine love. You know, when we touch each other, we hug each other. The hugs I have received in Bangladesh, in Cyclone Sidr, The hugs I've received in Lebanon and in, in Palestine. You cannot replace that. There's nothing. I've not felt that in, these, in this end of the world. Whereas with the poor people, when i've seen the woman when you are given my food package and they lift their hands and when they make a dua and the tears coming down dropping on there they are genuine tears and i i truly believe their duas are immediately answered because they are some tears are through happiness some are just through the situation some are burying their own children because they have died of hunger Uh, there's so much we learn. So, in in what I, when Doctor Honey says to us, "You are going to learn, to gain, you will gain more from them." Is to uh, and when I look back, he was absolutely right.
0: Does that ever lead to guilt when you come back? In terms, of you feel guilty with so much privilege that we have.
1: Yes, we do. Oh, that that is that's the hard one, and that that is uh, that is where I say we will be on the day of judgment, may Allah. We we have got a lot to answer for. A lot to answer for. A lot and you know the wealth we have you know Allah says I will give you more if you spend and then we are not spending or something we are we are immediately we are becoming an accountant and I say look I've got that much money and I've got that bill to pay. I've got but Allah is saying I'll give you more in this world and hereafter so you know there's Allah's wordings in Quran and there's a we are trying to analyze our own finances and then Muhammad has trained his companions that you want to be rich, keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. You, Allah will give you more. But then on the other side, uh, uh, amazing. I'm not denying, our gen- look in Ramadan this year, inshallah, within 29-30 days, the Muslim community in UK will be giving more than 30, 100 million pounds. In UK alone, that's generosity.
0: But how do we, for our, those, of, those of us that are living the comfortable life, how mm. do we burst that bubble that we're living in? Because mm. we haven't seen that extreme poverty, that death the disaster how do we come out of our shells and this artificial bubble that we live in
1: five minutes they have to spend before go to bed list the nemas list just list the blessings of Allah has given you today you'll be shocked if you write them down from the morning to the night five minutes just reflect go back rewind it from the morning up till now look back how much Allah has given you today and if you just do that for a few weeks couple of weeks two or three weeks watch what happens
0: Tell us about your next item maybe, that you'll take with you.
1: My next item is something I use it uh, a lot on the stage and it says, um, you know, we say, sky's the limit. You know, you know, we always say that, no? sky is the limit and, and uh, we can touch the sky and so on. And I always say, and it's it's, it's, it's very simple. People ask me, how, how do you raise money and how, how difficult is it? And I say it's not difficult as long as you speak from your heart. And uh, only from the heart you can touch the sky. And this is where we are lacking. Is We have to go back and revive our emotions. And that's love which we have in our heart. We all want to love Allah, uh, love Allah. Love Prophet Muhammad Let's put that in action. Love humanity. You know, love human beings and creation of Allah. Look at the beautiful this world we have. We just need to open our hearts out. Genuinely make this effort to the Muslims, to the non-Muslims, to the atheists. Everyone. Everyone and that is what muhammad s.a.w taught love everyone but look at look what we do if you're not from my village or if you're not from pakistan and you have look at look look how i would shake hand with you and how we, you know the, we need to go back to our roots and that is open the heart it was the heart, it was opening of the hearts that that's where islam islam entered into the hearts of uh, of, of companions and it was that muhammad s.a.w's genuine love for humanity before he declared himself as a prophet it was his love wasn't it and that love is from the heart genuine love this is what we need
0: and as we come towards the end of the interview brother Habib um, what do you do as we come to the end of the interview brother Habib um, how do you relax when you're not working
1: (laughs) two things again I go back to Dr. Hanith once I was sleeping and he phoned me 3 a.m 3 a.m he says, you uh, just call me Habibu. Habibu, what are you doing? I said, Dr. honey I'm sleeping. He said, what do you mean you're sleeping? I said, Dr. Ani, it's three o'clock. He says, two things you don't do in this world. One is stop and second is sleep. I said, what do you mean? He says, you stop when you die and you sleep in the grief." Okay, have a nice night. Good night, Snagom. <laughs> he did that. And I always remember that. And, uh... Stop, I suppose, when we die, we stop and then... Do you, khabar, w- we do you pick relax. up the sitar when you need well, to? I do, w- no, 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 w- I, do, I, do? I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm I, beginning to... Uh, you can see the man who comes okay. in the evening. is Zubair Malik. He's into his uh, mountain. Uh, he likes his, his walks and so on. And I've started uh, before Ramadan uh, walking as well. And after Ramadan, inshallah, carry on walking. Just nature, you know, go out in the mountains and, and uh, talk to Allah. Tell us about your last item. Oh, last item, I think, is the one every Muslim knows. is Surah Ikhlas. Uh, very powerful. I, I I love this surah because my father recites a lot. When I'm in the village and if he's leading the prayer, he has to read that surah. And it's, 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 if you just reflect on the meanings and the beautiful, and that's what's going to be uh, starts with Allah and if everything finishes with Allah. And... Uh, uh, simple surah very powerful summary of the Quran read it in the morning read it before you go into bed it cures your uh, illnesses and so much peace uh, of mind uh, recite a lot inshallah and uh, that's uh, I try myself uh, uh, miss a lot as well but um, but um, finish your day end your day with surah ikhlas um, and okay.
2: بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدُ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدُ And as you're on
0: this desert island, Habib, you'll be on your own. How do you think you'll cope with that solitude?
1: Just right. Um, keep a note of, I, I mean, I, I like my notes. You know, I something I've had a habit even in the motor trade when I was in writing when people used to call, I would take a note of everything. and In Islamic leaf work, and I, 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 I keep a note of my diaries. So you and write my, along my there. My diaries weigh more than forty kilograms. Do you keep a diary every night? Every single night? day. Every si- I can show you <laughs> why I did in Islamic leaf for, when I worked. Every single day, I can show you why I did. And it's something people, guys, know me. Who they, I, I, they are my notes. You know, sometimes I do English, whatever, just to keep a, a note of what I do. Where I travel, voice record every perform, every stage, performance. I've got recording of. It's just something I love writing and my, for myself. You know, I do carry my notebook and my pencil with me because mobiles you can't text and it's not the same. You have to column. You know, is this special column? You know, Allah talks about as well. And I teach you, this. just holding that pen and scribbling on a piece of paper is just amazing. And is there and a it a fixed
0: time you do it or just, is it a night time you'll sit and catch up for the day or is it any time you'll just...
1: I, I, I do device. a, if I'm driving, I would record it. I've got a voice recorder with me all the time. I just record it. Sometime I would write it as well. So I capture it. Uh, notebooks... Uh, um, sometime in the late afternoon or during the day, just whenever I carry it with me all the time. And do you so, go back and
0: listen to this stuff? Sometime do I mean?
1: do. Sometime in the old day. I remember a few times Islamic mm-hmm. League headquarters asked me, Habib, that meeting happened. Can you can you please send us a, <laughs> a photo image of the pages you have? And I've done it. Or some of the photographs. I mean, I've captured everything I've done. I've, I keep uh, photographs as well. Thousands and thousands of photographs I have of events and meetings I've had and a few times they have asked me can you go into your gallery and please and alhamdulillah I had, I had so why,
0: why is that documentation that archiving of what you've done why is that important do you think
1: I think f- children would look back read it and uh, I look back reflect as well this is uh, part of it's just a memory then? yeah it's just a memory of of um, maybe somebody will pick something out of, um, of what I've, I've got written and uh, notes I have drawings I have do you find uh, it
0: therapeutic for you as well
1: I do it I mean I, if I don't write it I, I feel there's something missing you know I, I have to do it I have to do it um, capturing uh, I've stayed in more than 250 odd hotels in UK alone I have a picture of every one of them every one of them yeah, see I'm telling you things which people don't know getting worried here. <laughs> I do I mean I, it's just something of, just memory yeah, you know, yeah. just, I just want to capture the moments And Allah has blessed you, you know, and just capture it. And writing is something I would say to the young people. Write. First, you will end up writing activities. What you do, eventually, slowly, slowly, you'll start translating into your thoughts, how you felt, your feelings about the day. And that's where you get the buzz. It's those feelings when you start writing. Um, uh, But write. Some people say, I'll type it on the laptop. I I don't find it. I've (laughs) I've tried it. It doesn't work. For me, it has to be on a piece of paper and with a pen or a pencil, and uh, mix it. Sometimes I write English, start, or, and switch it to Urdu, and then put it to English. And just for myself. So it sounds you'll have plenty to do on this desert island. That's what I say. I keep a note and I'll keep myself busy and just draw whatever I see. Or and
0: a notebook and pencil, any yeah. other luxury item that you'll.
1: Oh, get? towel. Towel is important. Towel is important. You can use it uh, once you're washed to dry. You can use a as a b-cumble. You can use it <laughs> as a pillow and whatever you like. Practical. Uh, towel, yeah, yeah. I keep it one in my car. Sometime I'm driving, my neck so sore, I end up wrapping it behind, you'll see, you'll see. People say, why have you got towel? And I say, it's, it, it, it's handy. As something I stick under my right arm because it's sore. And then uh, in Pakistan, people keep a chadar, you know, the old, in our elder generation, they used to have a pug, you know, that'd be turban. And then they became chadars. Chadars was very important. Sometimes you see some of the scholars, the Asian Pakistani scholars, they still have it. And uh, in this country, I, I say, carry a towel. Honestly, it's very handy too. And especially if you travel a lot. If you travel a lot, you it comes very handy. Sometime I sleep in my car. If I'm really then I'll take a wee nap an hour on the park, on the services. And then you put the towel. Wait till my family hears all this. My mother will kill me. She, you said you... <laughs> so I say, no, no, it was an amazing journey. But sometimes it gets tiring and then you have to pull. It's
0: been fascinating talking to you May Allah Thank you. reward you for all your efforts And continue to give you the energy and strength To carry on for another few decades Inshallah And uh, wish you all the best Remember us in your du'as. Thank you for the opportunity